Hi, and welcome to BOSS, a research podcast by the CBS Sustainability Center. The name BOSS stands for the business of society, which is kind of a guiding principle for the work that we do. As the name suggests, we're interested in how business and society interrelate and what business responsibilities are towards society. In this podcast, we will share, discuss and reflect on CSR and sustainability-related issues through conversations with researchers and practitioners. My name is Sarah Netta. I'm Center Manager at Copenhagen Business School and the host of this podcast. Featuring our colleagues, we aim to inspire you to reflect and take part in the discussion on how to transition towards more sustainable practices for organizations and government and for you and me. Think of the long trip home. Should we have stayed at home and thought of here? Where should we be today? Is it right to be watching strangers in a play in this strangest of theatres? What childishness is it that while there's a breath of life in our bodies, we are determined to rush to see the sun the other way around, the tiniest green hummingbird in the world, to stare at some inexplicable old stonework, inexplicable and impenetrable, at any view, instantly seen and always, always delightful. Oh, must we dream our dreams and have them too? And have we room for one more folded sunset, still quite warm? That's it. How did you discover this poem? I can't remember. But it was during my PhD. I must have seen it quoted in a paper or something, I can't remember, or something I read in connection. And um, just, it resonated with me. How did it resonate with you? Um, I interpret it as <clears throat> kind of a depiction of this psychological tension that we often feel as a tourist um when you kind of visit strange places and sometimes you have these this very classic kind of host guest interaction where you feel like you're paying to watch people perform culture which feels odd yeah so part of it's that and then part of it is um Yeah, just trying to reconcile in general traveling such a long way in a kind of, in a very privileged way, in a way that most people actually can't, to witness um, often people who are less fortunate than you or, and then the writer Elizabeth Bishop, she's called, kind of switches to this oh but it would have been a pity not to have seen this and I guess that's how you reconcile it to yourself like 
it would have been a pity for me not to get this opportunity in my life. But then who is that benefiting by you just having that opportunity to see it? If you don't use it for anything good, then that's not really a justification. She repeats a few times. She asks the question whether we should have stayed at home. Is it lack of imagination that makes us come? So it's kind of like a critique of the human psyche, like, can't you just be content with knowing that these places exist without actually having to go see them? Mm. And Liz, in, in, in light of your your PhD. Yeah. Yeah. How 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 do how do these two things interplay? I mean the, the topic of your PhD and, and the poem, how how do they play together? Now I'm in the stage of my PhD where I'm actually trying to figure out how uh, all of my papers fit together. And this poem has somehow started to provide me with an answer to that um, because I think one of the things that binds them is this ongoing tension around why we travel to remote places or fragile places and how we reconcile that to ourselves. And yeah, in a way, the whole concept of sustainable tourism is just a way of reconciling that, of, of us being able to justify to ourselves our tourism experiences. Yes, I'm a tourist, but I do it in a sustainable way. So that kind of makes it okay, right? Yeah, so I think it kind of, yeah, this this tension, this ambiguity, this kind of feeling of unease around traveling to remote places is is kind of the basis of my PhD, actually. Mm. I think it's a very beautiful and very moving uh, poem, actually, and I think it, it fits quite well with with your PhD so I'll definitely work it work it in somehow. Liz? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me in my mini studio here at Dagaseo to talk about your PhD. And um it's quite funny because somehow I think I feel like we're coming full circle mm. because when I first started doing doing podcasts for for the department that was actually during lockdown and you had just joined as a new PhD student and the first time we actually met was online for a conversation about your PhD and I remember then when we finally met face to face in the office I was so surprised because I thought wow she's so tall <laughs> and uh, now you're actually um, not, not tall but also in PhD terms grown up you're <laughs> kind of coming to the final final stages of your of your phd and it's really wild and i'm i'm just so glad that um that i got the opportunity to talk to you again now um you're you're coming closer to to finishing your phd so thank you so much for for joining me um to talk about your phd today yeah thanks for having me Before we start uh, talking about the next steps and what's to come with uh, with your PhD and beyond, let's take a take a step back and um, start at the beginning. Mm. So, if I can remember that far yeah, back, if you can remember that far back, 
Maybe let's start at the beginning of your PhD. When when did you decide that you actually wanted to do a PhD focusing on sustainable tourism in in the context of Greenland? Yeah, I suppose the formation of the PhD topic was quite a long process, actually, because it was also intertwined with how I got the funding and the organizations that were involved. But I knew I wanted to do a PhD back when I was doing my master's degree. And then following the master's degree, I began looking for opportunities to get funding. And one of them was the industrial PhD. Um, and at the time I was working for Visit Greenland, Greenland's national DMO. So I pitched the idea to them that they could um, partially fund a PhD for me. And they were on board. So then we actually developed the, or the kind of shell of the idea together. And then when I got connected to MSC, it developed even more um, based on the research that was going on in the department as well. So yeah, it was a collaborative effort. <laughs> Sounds lovely. But if you if you were to frame or, or present um, classic elevator style, you have three seconds to to frame frame your PhD. How how would you present the the topic of your PhD to someone uh, not familiar with it? Three seconds. Okay, yeah, well, three seconds, you know, kind of like the cinematic three seconds that take like more like three, five minutes. Yeah, um, well, I suppose it's got um, a very practical side, which is that I have tested behavioral interventions or nudges to encourage more sustainable tourist behavior in Greenland. Yeah, so a nudge is very simply a small incremental change to a decision-making environment which makes the desired choice the easiest choice and the desired choice by definition should be something that's good uh, for society or for the environment so on a practical level I've been testing these developing and testing these nudges but I couldn't really do that before I had looked much more deeply into actually what is sustainable tourist behavior in Greenland um, and done some research with local stakeholders about the debates around that and also looked into the psychology of the people who go to Greenland to learn how best to communicate with them and what are the kind of psychological shortcuts that we can activate in visitors to make them make the choices that we want them to make. Mm -hmm. And what would classic examples be or some of the some of the nudges that you have worked with or or developed for for your context? Yeah, so one of them is that I developed um a tourist pledge, which is something that is used in quite a few tourist destinations around the world already, where usually before visiting or when they arrive tourists sign something to say I'm going to behave in this way that's beneficial to the natural or cultural environment however there haven't actually been any tests on whether these tourist pledges actually affect tourist behavior or not so I developed this uh, pledge for a region in Greenland and I tested whether it had an effect on 
tourist behavior when they were hiking around a, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So in the pledge, the tourists committed to three behaviors. One of them was that they would take all their trash with them, that they would keep to the marked paths when they were hiking around the site, and that they would not disturb the natural environment in terms of like picking flowers or moving rocks or anything. And then the behavior I measured was um, how closely they stuck to the hiking trails. And I did that by asking them to wear GPS trackers. So I had a group of tourists who had signed the pledge. And then I had a group who had not been exposed to the pledge at all. Both groups wore trackers. And then I could measure whether the pledge actually had an effect on on how closely they stayed to the trails. And? It worked. Yeah, so the GPS trackers I used were, the way they worked was that every five seconds they log their coordinates. So I could, as well as measuring the distance by which people left the trails, I could also measure, for example, how much time they spent off the trail. So yeah, both in, in terms of time spent off trail and in terms of the proportion of their walk, they, which they walked off trail distance-wise, that was significantly reduced by signing the pledge. I mean, the thing is with these field experiments is it, they're super hard to organise because you're actually in the real world with real tourists and I had to have collaborations with all sorts of organizations like local tourism operators and cruise ships because my subjects were actually cruise tourists in that experiment. So it's an experiment, right? So you're supposed to hold everything exactly the same except for the one thing which you changed, which in my case was the nudge. Um, so it's impossible to get everything kind of exact. So that it even worked at all was like a huge success. I mean, in terms of like getting it organized and then that the nudge actually worked was just kind of an extra success. So that was really nice that it worked. Now you already said it, a field experiment is a different story than doing a lab experiment. What, what would you wish um, someone had told you before you went into the field to set out to do this experiment um, on these pledges or this pledge? I would wish that somebody had warned me about the COVID pandemic. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I, I mean, I was unfortunate enough to start the PhD at around about the exact same time that COVID started. And Greenland only has... Greenland's cruise season is from May to September. So the initial plan was to do these field experiments earlier, like the year before. But Greenland didn't have any cruise tourism for like n nearly three years in the end because of the pandemic. And then I had this one window of time last summer to actually carry out the field experiments, my last chance And it was the first season back since Corona. So that made it a lot more difficult to organize just because everybody I needed to collaborate with, their priority was like 
just getting through this cruise season without having uh, infections breaking out on the ship or, you know, something going wrong on a health or hygiene level. So helping out like this kind of lowly PhD researcher was very, very low on their list of priorities. Thankfully, I found enough people to help me. Um, So I was really grateful for that. But it could have been a lot easier if it weren't for the pandemic. And then, yeah, Greenland is a pretty difficult context to work in. I think if I were to do it again, the thing is, it's very rewarding to work with a context like Greenland because the tourism industry is relatively undeveloped, so there are opportunities to make a change. Also, as a destination, it's quite fragile. So, Why is it so fragile? Well, on an environmental level, obviously, you have these spectacular landscapes, carving glaciers, you have the ice cap, second biggest ice cap in the world, which are very spectacular, but they're also very obviously kind of like dramatic images of of climate change and, and what's happening to our world. Um, but you also have these, on a social and cultural level, you have these very small communities and, uh, yeah, a lot of social issues going on, a lot of underfunding of certain areas, um, which, yeah, makes it hard for people to live their best life, I suppose. So it's rewarding to to work with Greenland in the sense that you're putting money into somewhere that one of the places that needs it more than, than other places, perhaps. And you're coming up, you know, you're working together with people to come up with solutions that are actually not just applicable there, but all over the world. So it's cool to, it's cool that Greenland can, in that sense, be a kind of global leader for some, albeit very small, sustainability solutions in the world of tourism. So yeah, so it's rewarding to work there. But it's also just challenging because things are quite disorganised and and things change all the time because the weather basically is in charge so yeah so a lot of unpredictability a lot of things going wrong last minute and um so yeah so you asked me what what i what i wished somebody would have told me Maybe it would have been simpler to do it somewhere else, but then at the same time, it probably would not have been as rewarding or as meaningful. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's a question. 
But um, coming back to what you said in the beginning, saying that you've um, you focused on the on the practical level on nudges to um, incentivize or to promote um, more sustainable behavior or better tourist behavior. What what does that then actually mean? I mean, what does it mean to be a a good tourist or a, a sustainable tourist? What what does that mean? Yeah, it's a good question. And I don't have the answer, <laughs> despite having worked on it for three years. But, you know, we're academics, so we never really give answers, do we? It depends how you look at sustainability, I think. If a lot of people see it only on the environmental level, and then, of course, being a good tourist is not being a tourist, right? Unless you're traveling in a carbon carbon neutral way. But yeah, I've been working with sustainable tourism more holistically, um, also on a social and cultural and economic level. So then there are ways for tourists to contribute by, for example, spending money in local communities, spending money on locally produced products, engaging in activities which help to promote traditional cultural practices, Yeah, and engaging in activities which benefit local societies and and communities. But, I, I mean, again, it's really hard to know what those activities are sometimes, right? Because I spoke at the beginning about this. Sometimes you feel like you're paying to watch a cultural performance that is staged or there's power relationships there which are not benefiting people. So just because you're somehow engaging with local culture, it's not necessarily beneficial for the local people. So in that sense, basically just do your research and and be open to maybe sustainability being something opposite to what it is at home. One of the examples I always like to use about Greenland is eating vegetarian. So we usually consider eating vegetarian to be sustainable. But in Greenland, it's the opposite because they can't really grow their own vegetables. They have to ship their veg vegetables from Denmark. But then they have meat, wild meat, easily accessible locally. So on an environmental level, it's much more sustainable to eat meat there rather than vegetables. Just say keep an open mind, do your research, and um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that's 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 very very good advice. I wish you the best of luck with uh, not only finishing your PhD but also with uh, finding finding the relevant paths for you for for a postdoc. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. This thank thanks you. for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of BOSS. Are you interested in learning more about our work? Then check out our website or follow our BOSS blog. The music featured in this podcast is by Crowender.